let's get sweaty. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Shenmue Dojo Interviews. I'm really, really excited with the guest I have on today. Back in 2018, you may remember a Kickstarter project called A Gamer's Journey, uh, which was funded completely through Kickstarter to document the history of Shenmue. As that project now comes to a close, with Battle Awards almost on the way, I am excited to announce that my guest today is Adam Scipioni, creator of A Gamer's Journey, The Definitive History of Shenmue. So Adam, welcome to the dojo. How are you doing on this fine Saturday? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. It's been a while. It has, and I'm really pleased to get you on. I know I asked you a few months back as things were sort of rounding off. I'm glad to get you on the show at, at long last. You've been on my list for a little while. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, no, happy to be here. Excellent. So I'm going to dive straight into our questions. Um, and I, Firstly, can you give me a sort of a, a journey of, of how you came into sort of making films and the industry? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I wish I could like confidently say that i'm i'm in the industry i i think it's more um i started out you know went to film school kind of picked it up started as a hobby went to film school to kind of like hone in on certain yeah. aspects of filmmaking spent just like a good early portion of my professional career just kind of doing freelance stuff um really like whatever jobs i can get but kind of eventually fell into um, an area where I was like doing essentially like corporate documentaries in a way, like documentaries without a super interesting subject. But that involved a lot of like packing up a backpack of gear, traveling to places, interviewing people, talking to people, editing things like that together, um, and then creating like little little short videos. Uh, started out boring, but then it escalated to like more exciting stuff. I My first kind of taste with documentary filmmaking was I had the opportunity to go to South Africa back in like... 2014 for a couple weeks doing um doing a short documentary there and that kind of was like my first foray into like proper filmmaking um and yeah that's kind of how it how it all started and then it's just been whatever kind of steady work I could get since then but a couple years ago I realized I was getting a little too old for the freelance life like on a full-time basis so and once you know I got married and we had a kid on the way I was like I think I need something a bit more stable and uh less adventurous um and yeah so i kind of put that behind me but shenmue was the one thing that i was like no matter what i'm doing this is like my my passion project that i want to see through so brilliant beautiful and you've already sort of touched on being a video games fan so so how did you get into video games and your favorite consoles before you discovered shenmue oh right um yeah i've been playing video games since like my earliest memory with video games, I think, was the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And I remember my dad coming home with like a burlap sack full of like loose cartridges. And he's like, hey, I got these for the Nintendo. And I, I was like five or six years old at the time. Um, first game I have like vivid memories playing was uh, Donkey Kong Country for the Super Nintendo. But um, that quickly turned into, I guess, what my parents probably thought was like a passing fad to like a full-blown obsession so 
um, big Nintendo fan growing up. But along the way, I think I owned or borrowed I pretty much every single major console um, and just it never went away. I just kind of kept gaming. I still I was playing Elden Ring before we chatted today. I'm still kind of on the cusp of, of all, all things going on video games. So so, yeah. Excellent. And um, when did you first come across Shenmue um, and how did you come across it? Um, that's an interesting question because it's something I've told the story a few times to some people in passing, but um, I remember it very vividly because it kind of did. And not to sound too cliche, but it did change my life. Uh, like it changed many of our lives. But yeah. um, I was maybe 12 years old mm-hmm. and I actually discovered Shenmue for the first time on the xbox the shenmue 2 for the xbox so just to preface it really quick i have an older brother and having an old i don't know if you have an older sibling or not i don't (laughs) so if you do that kind of dictates the video game console that you're going to have in the house because if my older brother wanted an xbox or wanted a playstation that's what we got as a family um yeah so around around that time as the console he he was like we're getting an xbox so we had the xbox and before that it was nintendo so we kind of bypassed the the sega dreamcast and all the sega consoles all together so i didn't know what shenmue was Uh, but one day he came home with a bunch of video games he rented from the the video store yeah and i remember seeing shenmue 2 and i was like oh the box art looks really cool um it's it um it takes place in hong kong but it's clearly like a jap a japanese developer game yeah. And I put it in and I watched that little digest movie that came with the first one to kind of catch me up on the story because I'm the kind of person who like, I don't just dive into a game. I want to like know what's going on if there's a story. And I just got hooked. I just kept playing that game. Like I would go to school, school, come home, play for like three, four hours at a time every single day. And then after a week, he brought it back to the video store. And I was like, hey, what happened to, you have to get that game back. Like, why did you bring it back? And he goes, oh, that, that stupid, like Chinese game. Like, I don't want that. That's so lame. It's so boring. You don't do anything. I'm like, oh no, no, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. <laughs> so I like made my dad go to the store, rent it again so I could finish it. And, and then after that, you know, it's, I go through the motions of like tracking down Shenmue 1, yeah. getting a Dreamcast and the rest kind of is kind of history as they say. Yeah, very much so. And it- <laughs> playing Shenmue 2 for the first time obviously you didn't have the benefit of playing Shenmue 1 do you think that colored your experience with the second game so much hmm I like I have nothing but very very fond memories of Shenmue 2 especially when I first played it like it's still one of my best games or favorite games of all yeah. time I think I prefer Shenmue 2 over Shenmue 1 yeah um, yeah but yeah not having that experience of playing the first game in full to you know where the items carry over and even just having those relationships that you've built because um, the, the little digest movie that's included only really tells so much. Yeah. Um, but I remember just getting so absorbed into the world of Shenmue 2 that when I beat it, like I immediately had to track down a Dreamcast and a copy of the game, which was not a hard thing to do or not an easy thing to do rather back in those days. Um, it's not like I had, money or a job that i could just go on ebay and kind of look i don't even think ebay was a thing back then i had to ask around kids at my high school uh luckily one guy had a dreamcast and a copy of shenmue and he hated it so he just gave it to me (laughs) so yeah (laughs) there we go brilliant you obviously have the cliffhanger ending um of course what did you think to the cliffhanger ending thinking obviously at this point a third game might be on the way matt i was 
so naive <laughs> so super super naive and just jaded and i i i it was around the time i think the first time i beat shenmue 2 was when that um infamous kikizo article was kind of circulating oh yeah the adam dory one. one yeah the adam dory um and so i beat shenmue 2 and this article kind of pops online within like six months of me kind of discovering the Shenmue Dojo and, and hopping onto the forums there. Yeah. Um, might have been a little longer in between when I beat the game and when I discovered the, the Dojo, but still it's, I was very optimistic because I'm like, oh, it's only, it's right around the corner. It's going to happen. And uh, yeah, I think I spent the entire five years I was at high school, like going on the internet every single day, being like sh- typing, literally typing in like Shenmue 3 news, Shenmue 3 uh, like updates, stuff, stuff like that, um, thinking that it was going to come. And I held on hope for a very long time. Well, it came eventually. <laughs> it did. Yeah. Eventually, <laughs> what, 15, 20 years later? <laughs> 15 years later. And actually, I'm trying to get Adam Dory on the show um, to talk about that that and he hasn't yeah. said no yet so yeah he he is a really nice guy um i've, I've chatted with him he's a he's a stand-up dude yeah yeah he's a real he's he's a big he's still a big shenmue fan now actually i've yeah. spoken to him behind the scenes and yeah, um, yeah yeah he's a sound sound dude but um, if you are listening adam yeah come on come on the show <laughs> um okay then so shenmue 2 you've got the weight and everything what what inspired you to sort of take the step into do you know what turning the Shenmue passion into a documentary what inspired you to do it right um so there was a time between like I guess when I started doing it for the very first time um and like when I first started college there was maybe like four or five six year gap of when I just kind of like put Shenmue to bed for good yeah um not that I was like forsaking it at all Mm -hmm. it was just okay, you know what, maybe Shenmue 3 is not going to be a thing. You know, I'll get good with it. It'll always be a cherished memory, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I kind of put that in the back of my head. And then, um, and and like I stopped going on the dojo. I just kind of stopped really caring about the future of Shenmue, um, yeah. so to speak. But then, yeah, like around 2012, I kind of like... I think it was, I don't know how, but I found, I stumbled upon the Shenmue 500k Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then that kind of like, I was like, oh, I wonder if the Shenmue dojo is still a thing. And then sure enough, it was. And I'm like, oh my God, like it hasn't changed. Like it's still, it's still thriving. So between rediscovering the Shenmue dojo and Shenmue 500k, um, I just started participating in like conversations more on Facebook. I didn't, I hadn't really made an account on the dojo. I was more of a, a lurker, yeah. but on 500 K I was kind of participating in discussions and, you know, uh, just kind of seeing all these people that I really thought didn't exist when I was younger. Cause as far as I know, I was the only one who, who played these games. Um, <laughs> I hadn't been in touch with anybody, but um, yeah, just seeing the passion of people on 500k and especially doing like the tweetathons and making those like banners with like everybody yeah. holding up a letter, all super inspiring stuff. And then I just thought like, well, like with the work I do, I've kind of like built up a little arsenal of like video equipment, um, not like amateur equipment too. Like it was pretty, you know, mid, mid yeah. uh, pro streamer level stuff that I'm like, okay, I, like, why don't I just try to uh, talk to some people about Shenmue and like do what I'm doing for work, but like make it about Shenmue and just make something that I actually want to do instead of something I'm just like doing for a living um, to put food on the table kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was kind of it. I thought like if I could use 
like the, the, the resources and the talents that I have to tell this story about Shenmue, like it would be a nice little like love letter to the fans and to the series and something that I can maybe put out there and be like, Hey, look, like people are still trying to get this third game made. And here's my contribution to this effort. Like that was basically how it started. Brilliant. And I remember your first trailer. I remember sitting there in awe of it thinking, okay. which one was that? I put out so many. I can't remember which one that was. Oh, was it in the bedroom? It was the one in the bedroom with the, the disc going into the dream car. yes yeah that was fun i guess nice. that was the first official thing i love out. that love that oh, trailer that, yeah that was, that was fun i, I hear the dreamcast whirring away in my head about, <laughs> that's, about to explode oh that's amazing yeah um we ended up shooting some behind the scenes content I, I don't actually know what happened to that footage which is kind of a shame i must have forgot to back it up just because with all the things that were going on but that day was fun i was having everything come together i think um in that opening shot there's all those little easter eggs of like shenmue things so there's like uh capsule toys yeah. that i got at like my local pizza shop um there's a shenmue jacket that marson actually loaned me he okay said, he yeah mailed me that from chicago there was the the heavens lighter or the heaven zippo lighter yeah. um and just yeah just getting everything ready for that shoot is so much fun it's it's so cool just to think about um after all these years the nostalgia in that shot, in that that trailer, is is immense. And actually, I will play a sample of it um, for anybody who's watching this on YouTube, so you can see see what we're on about and be awe inspired by it. Because it was, I remember my jaw dropping, thinking, "Holy hell, this this oh, looks wow. amazing!" I was really pumped. Now, obviously, this is before Shenmue Three. So, what was sort of the outline that you had? In terms of this documentary, what were you going to cover before the whole Shenmue 3 announcement obviously changed everything? Right. So back then, and, and I forget at what point in the timeline we shot that trailer, but I'm pretty sure that trailer was like well before Shenmue 3 was announced. Mm. Um, but when I first started it, I think the plan was to just kind of network with people yeah. on 500k who were like fans local to my area yeah um it started with uh i don't know i won't name her last name but um amy was her name um who was um, a fan from toronto that i'm like i'm gonna start here because like she lives very close to me and she's a shenmue fan so i'll just talk to her about yeah. shenmue and then that kind of that was one interview and that kind of organically led to like other fans and um i had a few acquaintances that wrote for um who are like published uh writers in magazines mm -hmm. and like video game magazines yeah it's kind of talking to them and that evolved into like well maybe i could like reach out to some of the english voice actors and maybe i could reach out to some of the these popular youtubers like adam korlick yeah. um at yeah. the time who i thought if i can get adam korlick and Corey marshall and lisa wilkerson and like a handful of other fans i would be happy i'd be thrilled and this would be a really cool like 20 some odd minute video i could put on youtube that's kind of just like a little love letter to the the fans in the community saying like hey we want shenmue 3 um that's how it started and that like back then the scope was like very small it was kind of limited to just that i didn't really think it would evolve into what it ultimately did yeah and obviously shenmue 3 played a big part in that so you're planning this documentary out you're shooting things as you go we hit 2015 e3 Mm -hmm. the forklift tweet did that set alarm <laughs> bells ringing for you so you know what's funny every e3 leading up to that one i watched in the hopes that shenmue 3 was gonna be a thing 
And that was the only one where I was like, I was just convinced that there was going to be no mention of Shenmue. And I'm like, I'm already like, I'm doing this documentary. There's no point in watching E3. Like, it's probably not going to happen. Like, I'll just whatever. It's fine. That was like the one I made the conscious decision to like, eh, it's fine. I'll catch the highlights the next day. So I didn't even see the forklift tweet. Um, And I, I, and the, the way I heard about this announcement was like, my phone started blowing up. I was getting all these notifications by people just typing the letter three and sending it to me i'm like who are like what is going on and then yeah <laughs> that's how it happened wow yeah and how far into production were you of this of this documentary at that point well we had a bunch of stuff shot but we ha- we didn't really have like um an actual cohesive assembly edit together yeah um so it was really just footage and in our heads like okay here's the direction it's going and this is kind of what we're gonna do um and then when the announcement happened (laughs) my first reaction was i called randall and i was like it's like oh like this this is bad this completely ruined like from a filmmaking perspective from a fan perspective i was over the moon but from a filmmaking perspective i'm like like this is awful like shenmue 3 got made like what's the point of doing what we're doing and now it's happening and we don't need to do this and he goes no no this is good like we're in the middle of all of this now like there's a story we could tell and he kind of convinced me because i was just so stuck in my head that we're doing a documentary about a game that never happened and that was like the emotional backing to the whole thing was this this thing that was wanted that never came to be um and when it happened yeah, Randall was just like, no, this is, we're exactly where we need to be. And we're in a great position to tell this awesome story. Fantastic. So how did it change the, the scope? I mean, I'm going to talk about sort of the, the, the Kickstarter dinner in a minute as well, obviously, because you mm-hmm. attended that with Peter. But how did that change your initial scope of, of the project from what was essentially a love letter to now it, a story, a, a long story? It grew by opening doors that I didn't think would, would open to us. Um, yeah. Like, I, I, I guess we'll touch on it eventually. But yeah, like, I, I think kind of shortly after that, after that happened, I think is when maybe we put that, we put some sort of a trailer together that we never actually released on YouTube. We we made like a pitch, a totally separate pitch video that we sent to Yu Suzuki and his team. Yeah. Basically being like, hey, like, this is who, uh, when I say we, I mean, like, faux pot media, which is that's Mark and Randall and Isaac's company. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm just a fan who's kind of like working with them on this project. But uh, like, this is who we are. This is what we've done in the past. Um, they sent them like sizzle reels of their other films. And basically Randall and I were on camera uh, talking about what we want to do and how we want to work with them while we were showing them like sample interviews and things like that of what we've done so far. And that was just kind of like the Hail Mary pass. I think Corey Marshall put us in touch with somebody because he had been in contact about potentially doing some voices for Rio and Shenmue 3. Yeah. Um, and that was our in. And yeah, like we just put that out there. And as soon as we got uh, an email back saying like, okay, yeah, like we're happy to work with you. Like, what do you need? That was when the scope like officially changed to like this big thing that I didn't think would be possible. Yeah. I remember you saying you eventually ended up going to Wisenet, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. so it sort of feeds in quite nicely to the Kickstarter. And obviously you went as, with, with Peter Campbell, who who obviously used to own the dojo and is a huge, huge Shenmue fan. How, how did that open those doors with Wisenet, Yu Suzuki? And, and again, in how did that feed into the project and the planning of the project? Right. It was all kind of timed around a really good time. So we had 
heard back from WiseNet, they were they were like, yeah, like we're, <laughs> I think that they were very blunt and direct, but it was like, yeah, like we're excited. Can you come to Japan? And that's not just, you don't just throw that out to <laughs> to somebody, no, right? Like that's a no. big, that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, but they had, the offer was there. And that was shortly around the time when um, Peter and I had started chatting. Like uh, once I put the trailer out there, Peter reached out to me and was like, hey, I'm Peter Campbell. I don't know if you know, I, you know, do this at the dojo and blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of, clicked um we're very like peter and i um and he just kind of like floated the idea by me i think we were talking one day and he was like in mid-conversation he was like okay like you're kind of twisting my arm here like I, I wanted to tell you this you know uh at another time but like i might as well just tell you now because you're you have this opportunity to go to japan but i wanted to ask if you wanted to be my plus one with this thing and i was like oh my God, like the stars are aligning. Yes, 100% yes, I would love to come because then, um, you know, I'm going into WiseNet and then you can invite me there. And then it's a whole, like there's a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. And it just yeah. worked, out, worked out perfectly. Wow. And talk me through a little bit of your experience of, of, of the Kickstarter Japan tour and the, and the dinner, et cetera. I'll tell you what I could remember. It's it's yeah. kind of hazy, but like That's bits and fun. pieces are are very very clear. Um, I guess what did you want to know? Where should I start? It was it was a very wild two weeks. Ooh, start. I mean, start at the beginning. Um, with like meeting Yuzuki, the tour of Dubuita Street, etc. Start there. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I arrived in Japan. Um, I actually caught a flight with um two of the guys at uh, george and joe kitchen oh yeah um, of course. they were their connecting flight was in toronto and they were connecting on the same flight i was taking over so we had you know kind of met before arriving in japan and you know we were talking they were great guys and then when we got there the four of us um you know we were just kind of doing all sorts of things together just like seeing seeing the city, seeing the sights, going to a lot of bars, um, and just kind of anticipation for this trip that we were going to go on. But, yeah. um, we ended up going to WiseNet before that. And when I say we, that was just Peter and I exclusively just cause he was with me and I was like, okay, you invited me to Japan. So like literally the very least I can do is, is get you, uh, to come along with me with that. And, um, which is good cause Peter is actually like, an integral part of the documentary so there's um like foot like footage of peter his yeah. experience as a fan going through it so it all worked out great but going to wisenet for the first time was amazing um kind of mind-boggling but then the the shock of it quickly dies down when you realize that it's just a bunch of people like working in a room so like <laughs> the, you have this wave of excitement and then you're like oh yeah like this guy is waiting for his lunch break and you know that person over there probably like doesn't want to be at work right now and he wants he would rather be doing you know what i mean it's it's just yeah. another day at the office for these guys but um it was really cool just being in it and seeing it um and then of course once yu suzuki was kind of uh showing me um you know like the the the, the binders of previous artworks and stuff like that because he knew that okay you're doing a documentary like why don't you get some shots of this and get some shots of this and here i'll show you some things that we used to we had worked on before so he was kind of nice enough to to give me that as like a little preliminary um knowing that we would come back eventually because at that point it was just me um yeah this was like well before we brought the whole crew over um 
so yeah, that was like, it was the first time we went to Wisenet. It was very brief, but it was, it was really like an unforgettable experience for Peter and I both. Um, and then, yeah. And then the dinner was, that's the, the hazy part, really. It was the, the <laughs> dinner was the part I don't really remember because it was just a total blur. But the uh, the first time the the four of us went, oh, the four of us plus Alex Munoz, who lives in Japan, yeah. uh, the five of us went to Dubuida and Yokosuka. That was like one of the coolest things I've ever done. Um, just kind of going there together and doing all sorts of the the things that like outsiders who are looking at us would think that we're crazy, but like, why, why is everybody taking a picture of this guy buying a toy or why is he taking a selfie of him drinking a, a Coke out of a vending machine? Right. Like we probably just look like absolute like weirdos, but um, it was like probably one of like, I'd say that. And then my wedding day were like, and the birth of my daughter, three of the the best experiences of my life brilliant i love it and the shemi pilgrimage is something that i haven't done yet i'm going to do it one day um it's yeah it's amazing you'll you'll never forget it it's it's so much fun i'm jealous of everybody who's done it and i can add in some of the anime places now as well yes exactly which like i don't know if we're going to touch on the anime but i love it it's oh oh it's so good it's It's (laughs) stunning the anime i'm i'm thoroughly impressed about it i could talk about it for hours um but we'll we'll touch the anime in a bit. Um, okay, so you've you've met Yuzuzuki, you've been out and done the Kickstarter dinner, you've you sort of started building your bridges. How did the, then the project grow from there? And how did the idea of going over to Kickstarter surface and whose idea was it? It was actually, believe it or not, uh Harry Morishida, who is he was kind of like the our main contact with uh you uh why isn't that yeah uh, i guess he's like a, a acquaintance or a close friend of you suzuki who's kind of like our fixer uh, during mm-hmm. this whole operation um and we were just talking about like yeah like he was i think he was kind of like oh yeah we're we're gonna be doing this with the game and maybe it would be good if you can get some footage of this now and basically we were like oh this is all well and good but like we have <laughs> like jobs and bills to pay like it's kind of hard to just uproot our lives and go to japan for a few weeks to to do all this stuff um so like financially we were in a bit of a a pickle and we weren't we weren't trying to like go to yu suzuki and them for money like it wasn't like oh can you fund the documentary for us it was it was just we wanted to figure out how we could make it work um, within the time frame, and that's when Harry was like, "Hey, have you tried Kickstarter? Like, we had really good success with it." And I was so hesitant about doing Kickstarter because, like, that's how that that worked for Shenmue Three, and I just didn't want it, didn't want the community to make it seem like I didn't want to make it seem to the community that we were just like piggybacking off of Shenmue's uh, success. And at that time, there was still the slacker backer campaign going on, and I'm like, man, it would just I would not sit right with me if the Shenmue 3 was doing a slacker backer to get more funding. And then here I come out where I'm like, hey, like you want to give us money for this thing that you could also be giving to Shenmue 3? Because that was kind of what the direction was like. Everyone was contributing as much as they could to this project. So I didn't want to steal that thunder at all. Um, And that's why there was such a big gap between like when we put that trailer out until once the slacker backer campaign was done then i was like okay we've exhausted a bunch of options with trying to seek your financing here so let's go to kickstarter um and that's how it happened brilliant and 
did the success of the Kickstarter sort of take you by surprise? I mean, because it got funded really quickly. I remember correctly. If I remember correctly, I remember seeing your sort of Kickstarter pitch video and thinking, well, that's getting funded in about 10 minutes. I was sat in my car watching it just before a work meeting. I remember it vividly. It was a really hot day as well. And I was sat yeah. there waiting for that Kickstarter to open so I could back it like immediately. As soon as you announced it was going, and I know oh, a, lot, a lot of us out there, I was sat there waiting, literally refreshing my phone every few seconds. So did it take oh, you by wow. surprise to, that, that it got funded so quickly? Yeah, I, I can't quite remember. Like, I, I remember, um, well, no, I, I don't remember. I know that just as a as a, a personality trait that I have is I'm a very, like, pessimistic, always looking at, you know what I mean? Like, if I, I always is self-doubting what I'm able to do, um, always looking on like, the, ah, this isn't going to work. Nobody's going to care about this. That's who I am as a person. So I was like, I'm going to put this out there probably going to flop and my life's going to be ruined. But Peter was the one assuring me. He's like, no, mate, like this is going to be huge. Like we will help you with this. Like, don't worry. So Peter was the one reassuring me. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, he was right. And uh, it did, it took off. And I was like totally blown away that it was, it was funded as quick as it was. Um, and yeah. And then that's when things start getting real. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's when we first spoke actually back in yep. the day i think i yep. hadn't been on the staff that long and i remember yes, reaching, I... reaching out that... going what do you need <laughs> right yes that was right when the kind of peter was uh stepping not stepping down but but taking a taking a back seat or kind of transitioning i guess would be the term yeah there's a because a lot of i was running the facebook at the time and then there was james running some the twitter with a few other people as well i remember mm -hmm. that it was the first time we spoke and i remember saying right what do you need updates whatever it, it can go on our pages yeah. I, was, I was so keen i was glad it was funded i was, it was never not going to get funded in my head quite yeah, honestly yeah, yeah but you funded you've got the money then, as you say, it gets real. How can you talk me through the planning process of right? You've got the Kickstarter money, and getting yourselves organized and set to go out to Japan. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, like I guess, like most projects with with uh, money behind it, like a budget needed to kind of happen. And the budget in this case was like, okay, the bulk of this is going to be um, accommodation and a plane ticket for everyone who needs to go for as long yeah. as we need to go for um that was like the big chunk and then obviously you need to set aside some some other things for like uh, random contingencies that are unforeseen um and everything else like after the fact for fulfillment and whatnot um but yeah we kind of broke it down quickly into like okay we only have so long to kind of act on this budget so yeah let's look at what a plane ticket would cost and you know finding accommodations and kind of budgeting for like a day per diem just for meals and stuff um, unfortunately tokyo is one of the more expensive cities to kind of just like operate in yeah. day by day so um we're, we're trying to be is not frugal but like as realistic as we could we're trying to make everything work so um that was the challenging part because i never really budgeted for things like that before it was all foreign to me but between randall and i he has more experience doing it we kind of made a plan and we just executed as soon as we could um because i don't think there was very much lull between 
when it was fun. I mean, there was maybe three or four months between when it was funded versus when we went, because we went December, I believe, of that year. Do you remember it being fairly swift from from the Kickstarter? I think yeah, yeah. Three four months does sound so does sound about right in my mind. I remember you mm-hmm. putting an update to say you were getting on the plane, and then another update to say you you were in Japan and getting ready. How many of you went out there? Uh, it was myself, Randall isaac who is kind of he's the cinematographer and his uh, younger brother ruben who was basically like the dit slash grip slash assistant general like whatever needed so just the four of us and when we got there we spent a lot of time with um joel joel tess from awesome yeah. japan he was great our, guy um, great yeah, guy joel. really really solid dude um he was our translator and kind of guide and um we also met up with i don't know if he likes to have his name out there but switch from phantom riverstone i'm not sure well it's out there now <laughs> <laughs> no we, we we plug switch quite a lot so it's, it's fine thinking about obviously you get into WiseNet and and you're getting ready to film what was your plan in WiseNet? What were you looking to see there? What were you wanting to film there? And were there any surprises when you got there? The plan before the Kickstarter and after the Kickstarter, there was like what we set out to do originally was kind of different than what ended up happening when we got there, just because we saw like, okay, this is what we're able to get and what we're able to see. And mm-hmm. like, this is the direction we want to take. Um, but when we got there, it, we really quickly worked with Joel and, um, and Yu Suzuki to be like, we want to interview as many people as humanly possible that we can in like these three and a half weeks that we're here. Um, so we put together a list of, I remember they sent me a list. It was like a, a spreadsheet of a ton of names and beside each name was like the role, what they did. And also like a rating system from like okay. zero stars to five stars about who they thought was like most important versus like least important i think is kind of they were like oh you should talk to this person and this person maybe not so much so i took their suggestions and then i think there was a couple like two stars on their list that i'm like no i want these to be five stars please and thank you um and we just kind of put together a big interview list and um and then we we between randall and i we were asking questions joel was translating and we were just having conversations with these people over the course of a couple of days and not just at WiseNet too, but that involved us going to the Sega studios and some other um, like small independent studios that are owned by uh, like former acquaintances of Yu Suzuki, uh, people who worked on the original games. Now, I remember when you did the Kickstarter sample video, I can't remember what year it was now, 2020, is that right? Um, no, it was before, it was before COVID happened, I think. I think, I don't know, actually. I can't um, remember. I'll, I'll, I'll correct it. I want to say 2019, but you also might have a better memory than I do. <laughs> so. I, whenever it was, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter when, but whenever it was, I will check. Um, I remember you saying, obviously you did, you did some work at Sega um, was that particularly difficult um, getting hold of people who were still at Sega at the time or, or, or was it pretty straightforward? I thought it would be difficult. I thought it wouldn't happen and we were just kind of casting a big net and we were going to get whoever we got and we would be thankful that we did. Yeah. But um, yeah, we ended up getting uh, two people at, yes, two people at Sega 
and that they suggested, oh yeah, you can just go to Sega and interview them. And other than like, they, they obviously had, were accompanied by like Sega staff who I think just wanted to sit in and make sure maybe they weren't like, we make sure they weren't like divulging any company secrets or saying anything negative about the company, just in case they thought that we might go down like a really slanderous line of questioning or yeah, something like that, fair um, which we, which we never did. It was all, it was all laughs. Like everyone was great, but um, yeah, it was like, we had our guides, we were accompanied. They took us up to whatever floor we went up to really cool building. They had like all this, like a little Sega museum, in the hallways uh that nice. was awesome very they were very like like please don't take pictures so i didn't unfortunately sneak any just because i wanted to be on my best behavior but it was really cool um we got some sega swag to take home as like a little thank you but yeah that was that was actually um a part that i don't really think about often but one of the the, the highlights of that trip definitely was going to sega and and chatting with um i believe it was uh, Takanobu Mitsuyoshi and um, Ego Kasuhara at the Sega HQ. Wow, I'm I'm jealous of that Sega museum that you've seen. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely something I didn't think I would find myself in. Brilliant. Um, going back to WiseNet, then can you sort of talk me through some of your favorite moments filming at WiseNet or any any standout moments from from your time there? Nothing too particular i think the most exciting moments was when um they were when we were getting b-roll of like stuff so not just the interviews but just getting like that supplemental footage and um yu suzuki had this big binder of like all of the characters from shenmue one and in there there was like a drawing that um a drawing that was done like kind of like a, a rendering and then next to that was um like a chart that was basically a bio of that character and yeah. he was kind of showing us like okay like here's a picture of this person and this is their name their age where they work um and then he was even going in and this is not something that i don't even remember that was were details in the first game but he was like even like uh the information like um uh when their wife left them or you know <laughs> stuff like that and just kind of like going down that rabbit hole of like yeah this is how detailed we we made this stuff which was all really really cool to see and i also remember in one of your footage trailers there was a little bit of baisha we never got in shenmue 3 there's a very small snippet about two seconds i think it was in some of your b-roll um did you see much of the game sort of in development as as you were filming um Yes and no. Uh, yes, in that like I we we saw lots of stuff like character models, um, yeah. the the maps, the areas, but which was all well and good. But I think without the context to kind of like see it like see it through that lens of like how it actually fit in the story, it didn't really feel like major spoilers to me. Yeah. When I ended up okay. playing the game, it was like oh I remember like that's that's this and that's that, but. Um, uh yeah it was nothing like and i i think he strategically invited us there at a time when like they weren't doing anything like i didn't see anything of landy or of uh of anything with the chew men or anything like that i think he he made sure to kind of invite us on a very like neutral couple of days um, which enough. is totally fair which yeah, is very yeah. very fair absolutely yeah. fair because he doesn't want to spoil things he obviously doesn't want things getting out that mm-hmm. that 
probably you know, shouldn't at the time. I remember one one thing that I will say that just in terms of like things getting out that probably shouldn't have got out was uh, somebody on YouTube like took uh, like literally like a one and a half second video clip from that trailer of um, Rio running. Yeah. And and then they they looped it for like 10 minutes and zoomed in on it and they were like oh like exclusive footage that we got of of rio running and i'm like oh shit like i hope (laughs) this doesn't get us in trouble because i don't know if i didn't realize that was like a big deal but apparently it was it was like a never before seen thing and i remember just being really nervous being like oh i didn't mean to do that like they kind of told us that it was okay to show all this footage because we showed it beforehand but i guess they didn't really care but um the person who looped that video thought it was really awesome so i mean it's typical of, <laughs> typical of shenmue fans any any sort of glimmer of anything yeah. it is yeah. dissected and dissected again put back together dissected one more time just to make sure that you haven't missed anything um that's very typical of shenmue fans i do remember that footage <laughs> as well actually i was thinking yeah oh rear running okay yeah I, yeah I, 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 <laughs> And the the, the Baisha two loops as well, which obviously didn't make it into the game, unfortunately. But I remember seeing those at the time, thinking, "Okay, this this is this is going to be awesome. It looks really really good." Yeah. But I think one of the things with with your documentaries, obviously, you did a lot of work in Japan. You've rounded off. You've done all your work. I think what people sometimes forget it's not just the shooting in Japan. There's a lot that goes on afterwards. So, can you talk me through sort of what else in terms? of of the things you shot out, you know, outside of Japan at home, mm-hmm. getting all the B-roll together. What were the next steps after you went to Japan? Um, so yeah, like you're, you're exactly right. It's not just you go to Japan for three weeks and then you make a film based on those three weeks. It's it's things like um, putting together like an asset list of all this archival stuff of Shenmue One and Two, and not just like clips of the game but yeah. you know you're, you're looking at like videos from past e3s or like maybe like old newscasts about the dreamcast or things like that right like basically anything that's relevant to shenmue we're building an asset library you have to pull from yeah um, of course. and then tran- even getting all those interviews translated and subtitled to english to where we could actually work with them took a very long time like it's like brett did a great job translating them oh i said his name whoops but, <laughs> um he did a great job translating them did it really quickly but then like us lining up everything and linking everything and getting the subtitles to kind of like to to show up and be on cue with with the um the video and then having all that done and then you go okay now we could edit that was a lot of work and then there's the the visual things that isaac brought to the table um to where uh, when you i guess when when faux pop and definitive films when they do a documentary they're not just using like still images as cutaways right they're trying to make it as dynamic as possible so yeah um that trailer that you mentioned earlier with um the room with the the dreamcast and the mm-hmm. camera kind mm-hmm. of like panning through the bed we did um more of that where we're setting up like different sets that are reminiscent of the game um the big one being we tried to kind of like recreate rio's living room with um like the the tv and the dreamcast and the and the 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 walls in the background like that sort of things that we could then um instead of just like when we're talking about the genesis we don't just throw up 
a picture of a Genesis or just a video of a Genesis on a table, but we've like built these sets that make sense. Um, and like they're, they're, they're visually lending itself to the story. Um, not, they're not just there for the sake of being there, but it's all kind of working in this, in this like cohesive whole. So we did a lot of that. Yeah. Um, even like, get uh, getting tracking down like certain arcade machines and then setting them up in a, in a space and lighting that and shooting that um they just like take time and it's you know it's again we had the kickstarter budget to do so but it's not like if we just said hey isaac here's your daily rate for what it would normally cost you our, we would fly through our budget like we were saving the budget for things we absolutely needed to spend on and it was just sweat equity that we were all putting in like when we could and when we were able to do these things. So kind of why it took so long, why thing, why things move at the pace they do. Yeah, and that's that's fair. I remember one trailer, um, you did the antique see, uh, the antique shop with the hangard. My favorite, my favorite thing I've ever done. <laughs> so good. Let's talk about it because yeah, it's in my mind as well. Like, yes, did, of course. Where did that idea sort of come from to do that particular scene? And and also, how long did it take you to put all that together? And, and just, what was the thought behind it? Um, so why we chose that particular scene, I think we wanted to just recreate an iconic moment from the game, but do it in a way that was like a bit of a rug pull because um, we used a female actress and it was the, you know, it, mm-hmm. we, we weren't just being like, hey, this is Ryo Hazuki. We were kind of like approaching it a little bit more ambiguous yeah but i think i just chose to do that scene i don't know i think it was because i had already props like a prop of the the um handguard and i was oh, like yeah. okay i'll do something with this because i might as well put this to some use um so i thought i would do that scene i thought it was really cool so i wrote um a bit of a script and a shot list around that and then um there's actually believe it or not like very very close to my house and i live in a, a rural area of about nine thousand people um and really close to where i live there is an asian antique shop okay that is just perfect so that was very serendipitous and that worked out the way it did and yeah like we talked to the owners there they were happy to let us shoot i built some extra props like the uh the move scrolls that you kind of see peppered in the background yeah. i don't even know if people saw them oh yeah and then i and then we got our friend shaughnessy to she was in town and she had done some stuff with us before and we're like hey like this is what we want to do you should be rio and then we'll do like this whole gender um reveal switch thing at the end that kind of worked out nicely and um yeah and then the and then the, the male actor again a town of nine thousand people in rural ontario canada there we had uh, a friend of mine whose dad is eth- ethnically japanese that is kind of like around the age of like what an older antique shop man would be like. So it all just kind of like fell into place nicely. Brilliant. That's great. And everybody hasn't watched it again. I'll sling, I'll sling up a little bit of, of footage from it, but again, it's a, a fantastic trailer. Um, it just felt remin- so reminiscent of the games and Thank the hangard in it looked look beautiful. And again, you mentioned the move scroll Easter eggs in, in there as well. So when you're watching it, keep your eye out for those. I, I would like to say quickly, I, I did throw like an like a literal Easter egg in um, in that trailer where you see the move scroll in the background on that shot of uh, Shaughnessy's kind of that close up as she's approaching it before the bell rings. Yeah. And the move scroll, I think there's three move scrolls. I forget what two of them are. I just kind of copied the kanji from like two iconic moves from Shenmue 2. Um, 
or I think I forget which game I took him from, but then the other one lit was the literal translation of um, I typed an Easter egg in like Google translate and converted that to kanji. And ah, then I think it pretty. came out as like secret egg. So then we wrote that on there as like kind of like a meta Easter egg for the whole thing. I don't know if anybody caught that, but it's there. And it was like, it was like my little proud moment that I snuck that in. I was like, yeah, this is cool. That's absolutely brilliant. And I don't know if it was, anyone pick that up actually but if you haven't picked it up you know about it now (laughs) brilliant so obviously this this project's morphed into something a lot bigger than it's than its original idea from a 20 minute video that you you, were going to put together with a few fans It's, it's got into a lot something bigger what were the challenges of getting this thing made to to where we are now um the challenges let's see I mean, there's a ton. <laughs> um, uh, like just es- establishing yourself as somebody to be taken somewhat seriously, especially in those early days. Like it's easy enough to reach out to the voice actors and the fans and the YouTubers because they're more than happy to. But then when you're trying to breach that that line to like people in the industry, like uh, Peter Moore and Mike Fisher, yeah. there's always that worry of like, like, are they going to say yes? Like, because to them, I'm just a random guy. I'm just a random fan. And I think that's what having uh, definitive films on board really helped lend to the credibility behind that. Yeah. Um. So, like, having them on board was able to alleviate some of those challenges. But just, yeah, like, the creative process and the time involved and, like, you run into roadblocks with the editing and you get burnt out. Um, and you come back to it and you, you think something's working and then you think it's not. And then I think at one point we had like, okay, here's three hours of content. A lot of it's probably gibberish. Then we have to start trimming it down to something that resembles an actual narrative. Um, and then we also keeping in mind that we're not just making this, like we are making it for the fans, but like, I want to make it for the fans, but the other the rest of the team, the reason they signed on to do this in the first place is because they saw a potential of like an interesting story that would appeal to a wider audience of like this super niche game that wasn't supposed to exist. Um, But now it does because of this fan base. And like, let's also tell the story of how it came to be. And to do that, you don't just tell a story about Shenmue, but you have to tell a story about Sega and the Japanese arcade scene and Yu Suzuki, right? So it's kind of... having something that's both appeals to the fans and also to people who have no idea what Shenmue is or what an RPG video game is. Um, There's a lot of balance to kind of find. So I think we landed on it. I I showed my mom, actually, she was the first person other than us to see the whole thing. And she was like, I think she said to me, she was like, oh, like, I get it. Like, I, I get why you're so into it now. Like, I understand where this passion's coming from and like why it means so much to you. And then hearing that was like, I remember thinking in my head, like, thank you. Like, that's exactly what I wanted you to say. <laughs> that sounds really promising. And hopefully people who haven't seen Shenmue, obviously with the anime and everything else going on, if they see this and pick it up and go, do you know what? I get I get where why this fan base was so vocal for 20 years and pick mm-hmm. the game up. It's doing its job. <laughs> yeah. I remember at one point we were in, when I was watching the, the documentary with my mom, it got to the point where we're kind of leading up to the Kickstarter. And my mom to be fair, like she knows really nothing about, like she knows what I was doing, but she, I don't think she really understood what it all meant or kind of what 
because it's all very foreign to her yeah. so at one point she turns to me she pauses it and she turns to me she's like do you think they're ever going to make a shenmue 3 and like she was very invested in the story at this point she was like do you think they're ever going to make a third one and i was like keep watching and then <laughs> obviously we talk about it of course and just seeing her reaction to all that was really cool like she understood finally the weight of not just my weight but all of our collective you know angst that we had built up with this whole series like i think she was finally able to understand why it meant so much to me and everyone else brilliant that's really cool to hear and i, I will bring in the kickstarter actually as well um because that is a challenging format i think wisenet would attest to that as well as as yourself what were the challenges around doing it through kickstarter in in terms of logistics uh backers and the rewards etc yeah um I guess like building it and trying to make a a reward list that is appealing to people. Um, Sometimes, you know, I think, I hope we didn't like promise too much or maybe offer too much, but then not charge enough to kind of where, like sometimes I wonder if I just said it's a digital thing with a minimum contribution of $50, would people have jumped on it? Because that would have been a lot easier to pull off (laughs) ultimately in the long run, if I'm being honest. But um, yeah, kind of having those things um, and which are easy enough to deliver on. But uh, like with all Kickstarters, like there is as much as I love everyone who donated, I appreciate every single one of you. There are some people who I think just don't see that like, hey, we're just people making this in our spare time like this isn't our full-time gig you didn't order from a website like we're literally trying to get this made and we were being very transparent um we probably could have made more frequent updates but it was getting to the point where those updates would have been like hey guys we're still plugging along thanks like i have nothing major to show here so i think that's why even when we showed the the cut of what we had like that hour and however many minute like content yeah. cut where we were yeah. getting close to a finished story that was our way of being like this isn't a ponzi scheme like we're actually trying to make this happen so just please be patient but um yeah like with all things like that it is challenging because there's a lot of people that we are that are kind of depending and counting on us to pull this off so yeah and do you think to a point backer expectation or came into that as well in terms of people wanting things almost immediately and not necessarily understanding the process behind it which i hope part of this interview can do for people who maybe weren't so sure about what was going on behind the scenes can start to understand that actually it's not just film edit done it there's much more to this than and and, and your own blood sweat and tears as well in fact Right. And lots of caffeine and lots of self-doubt and uh, that sort of thing. Um, But yeah, you're exactly right, though. Like there is a lot more that goes in behind the scenes. And I think for the most part, I think people did understand that. And let's face it, like as Shenmue fans, we're really, really good at waiting. So it's always funny when people like reached out to me on the side and we're just like reassuring like, hey, like, don't worry, Adam. Like I literally waited 15 years for Shenmue 3. So like, take your time. It's fine that always put a smile on my face i was like okay i i shouldn't be super hard on ourselves yeah no that's fair and what's the status of the project currently where are we at right now so uh happy and excited to announce that um i don't know when but like very very soon because we did put the finishing touches on like with the last thing we're working on is the credits and getting all the names in there and yeah the the photos and whatnot of the, the the fans submitted but we'll be able to send out to the backers a um 
like a code that will get them access to like a digital the digital copy of, of yeah. the film so they could watch the whole thing in full and and see it and watch it and experience it the way that my mom did um last weekend and hopefully have that same sort of like reaction that like that she did that they don't seeing it all come together i'm just excited for people to finally be able to see it so that's kind of the status when the physical stuff that will all um take some more time but we want to get this out as soon as possible and start fulfilling on some of the promises that we made yeah oh i can't wait can't wait oh I'm, that's that's wetting the appetite that is <laughs> oh, i can't wait to see that because it's yeah it's been a long journey for it it's and... it's it has been a very long journey it's weird watching it too watching because i don't know if we touched on this but the story that i wanted to tell setting out had nothing to do with me i was just a mm. the person kind of like behind the scenes pulling the strings but um, because I got a lot of really awesome content and like vlogs that I had made with Peter while in Japan and while going on this, yeah. uh, originally I was shooting that kind of just for me and yeah. maybe yeah. to use whatever. But I remember when we were editing, I had submitted an edit to Isaac for him to review. And he was like, man, you have all this great footage of like you in Japan. Like, why aren't you using any of that? And I'm like, I don't know, because it's not about me. Like it's about Shenmue and like the journey of Shenmue. And I think he said to me, he was like, you are literally on a journey and like you have footage <laughs> of it. And it's like, there's some, and he was explaining how there's room to do like so, sort of just juxtaposition of like um, the journey of like Shenmue, not just Shenmue three in the game, but like also the fans and also me and have it all tie in together. So I kind of bit the bullet and I was like, yes, okay, let's do it. So you'll see a lot of Peter and I kind of interspersed throughout bits of the film. We kind of come back as like a, as a recurring arc, but um, it all, it all plays into a purpose, but I, uh, yeah. I do remember some of that from, from the um, preview you gave us the other year, mm -hmm. actually. And some of those, are, it's so interesting to see like, Shenmue fans on that journey around Japan, debrief everything. I, I, if you, as a Shenmue fan, as somebody who wants to go and do that, I'm, I'm sat there. It's, I don't know. It's just making me want to do it more, and that's the mm -hmm. only way I can describe it from from the little footage that we we saw sort of a year, eighteen months ago. So I can't wait to see the final product. Thank you. I'm. I would love to hear what you have to say when you watch it. I'd love to hear your feedback and just, yeah, hear hear all that good stuff. So one of the other things around the the project is all all the backer rewards, content, etc. Um, did you have a challenge getting all that together in terms of I know people with their like for example I did a I did a very sort of I think two minute shot of me talking about why I love Shenmue etc was that difficult to get together and put put all together because I know it's all going to be on the Blu-ray isn't it when it comes out uh, it'll actually be on the digital version as well so oh, those really? people will be able to see yep um, excellent I and and yours I just want to say you did a really good job of yours because you adhered I think yours was like 30 minutes on the frame or 30 seconds on the frame, which I appreciate that. Like yours was just so tight and concise. Um, and uh, yeah, but no, that's all in there. I, I think I've, I'm waiting for a few other people, but I think that's another good part about having the digital link is if you didn't get to me in time or if there's a, if your name is spelt wrong or if you didn't have your proper name listed that you wanted, yeah. um, you'll be able to kind of like, let me know and then i can make all those changes for the actual physical edition Excellent. but um yeah that the 
that part wasn't so hard. The hardest part really was parting with that signed Dreamcast. Oh that man, was that yeah. I had delivered to? I don't want to say the name. He's a he's an active member on the forum. He's probably posted a picture of it, but um, he was the one who who snagged that that top tier. And I sent him that a while ago, but I took some pictures and I uploaded it to my Facebook just to show yeah, just some of my that. close friends. Yeah. And uh, it's just parting with that was so tough. And then everyone was like, why didn't you bring two? It's like, I don't know. I don't want to be the guy bringing two Dreamcasts with me everywhere I go. I would just seem like a total, total weirdo. But um, <laughs> it's definitely a one of a kind item. And I know that that's, that's going to be a nice little collector's piece for that guy. Uh, yeah that would take pride of place somewhere in my collection if i had it i can tell you i'm mm-hmm. very jealous yeah yeah it was it was nice being able to say i was the proud owner of it for a while <laughs> brilliant excellent i love it so in between all of this and you're making the project you're making the film send me three releases um mm-hmm. to, to the world what did you think of it when you actually got around to playing it well i will say that it is both my favorite and my least favorite of the Shenmue games. (laughs) And I mean that, I know it's very vague in the way I'm putting it, but there are elements of that game that worked so well. Um, the, The atmosphere and just like the level design and like the feeling of life that was in it really resonated with me. And I got very, very lost in just like, running around the different areas listening to the music um i, I kind of even went big into like the fishing and the herb collecting and the capsule yeah. collecting which is something i didn't do i think part of the reason i didn't do it as much in the first two games was like let's face it i understand they were going for realism but like to make it so i couldn't just buy multiple cat like that was a nice little quality of life change so i was able mm. to kind of like quickly buy these things um i i went down those roads and i and s- invested a lot of time just like living in that world um and the story you know it's i have my my ups and downs with it but i think it kind of it fell flat in some areas but i think it delivered in others um but yeah i think it's very much a shenmue game and um the only thing i'll say about it is i think it was it was playing to the fans a little too much like it felt like it was it was too much for the fans um, yeah. with like the little references, but you know what? Like I get it. That's kind of it was made because of the fans. So if if they didn't include that, those like little winks and nudges and whatnot, then I don't know. I think people would have felt kind of cheated. But yeah, I don't know. That's my stance on it. I it's uh <laughs> it's the best and the least favorite of the Shenmue games. I think you've probably summed up. The, the whole Shemu community's view of, of Shemu three in about a minute and a half. I don't disagree with anything you said. It, yeah, <laughs> I I hope so. I've only ever played it once. Um, I I will eventually do the replay of the full three again. But right now, it's I've I've done the one and done, and that's just kind of my thoughts on playing it uh, through the one time. Have you not played one to three back to back then? Oh no, I have. Uh, the have. first time, I, the first time I played it was back to back. Was I? I bought the first one, but I was kind of working my. Or I bought the third one, and I was working my way through okay. one and two. Yeah, it was sitting on my, on my, uh, my little entertainment area while I was finishing up Shenmue two. And then the second it was done, I was like, okay, boom, Shenmue three in, and then right into it. 
brilliant and that that transition actually i did one to three back to back a while back and actually the feeling from shenmue two to three it's almost like the 20 year gap didn't happen it felt natural it just fitted i don't i don't know it felt familiar it's probably the way i'd put it it did yeah i'm, I'm glad that they they kind of opened up the only negative thing i'll say though is it's like guys did we not forget that there was a floating magic sword like why is this not why aren't you not making a bigger deal about this wow that sort of feeds in actually <laughs> to the other piece of shenmue media that we've just got which also retconned the sword um the shenmue anime yes oh my god how good is that anime oh it's uh i feel like it was made like it's gonna sound lame but it was made like specifically for me it was like they just they were like okay this is what adam wants in a shenmue anime so we're gonna just give him this and I've been listening to that. Um, is it Undead Noid? Is that the name of the, uh, yes. the artist? Oh, it's it's yeah. just such a good song. Oh man, it's, it gets stuck in your head every time they that plays in in the in the um, sort of starting credits. I, I'm I'm humming it for hours. Yeah, it, it's definitely a catchy tune. I've been sending it to all my friends too, who uh, they're big into like the more popular animes. And I'm like, hey, like you want to you want to watch Shenmue? Like it's really really good. I think you'll like it. You should check it out. It's really good. I and I know it moves at a pace. I mean, as we're recording this, we're just about to step off the boat into Hong Kong. I mean, did, 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 does the pacing of the anime bother you? Like some of the changes that they made? Or what do you think of them? No, I mean, as soon as I knew that they were going to be like 22-minute episodes, I fully expected... I was like, oh yeah, they're not going to have a whole episode on Rio looking for Charlie. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, it is moving very quickly, but it kind of has to, right? Um, it's it's an anime that is on a being published by, right? It's it's on Crunchyroll. It's yeah. Adult Swim is involved. Yeah. Um, so it needs to appeal to a wider audience, and that means you have to cram in more story and more action sequences. But um, no, the pacing isn't really bothering me um, because right like as a guy who has a newborn and who has a job and who's always very very busy i like being able to just wake up and crush an episode of the anime in like you know under a half hour which is yeah. great so i appreciate it like that if, if 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 this was like a netflix epic and each episode was like 45 minutes to an hour i would still love it but i would not be caught up i'll put it that way yeah yeah that's fair and i think and they've done a hell of a job. I mean, some of the Easter eggs in there are, are brilliant, like the tapes on Rio's desk. That... Oh, yeah. Those first two or three episodes, I feel they were just like packed full of references that I was just eating up because I had binged a bunch of episodes at once. Um, I think it was like four. I started watching the series once there was four episodes. So I just kind of like crushed it. All. I woke up, woke up. Uh, my daughter was crying at like five in the morning. So I woke up, did that thing with her, put her to bed. And I'm like, I'm awake. Might as well have coffee and just crush the anime which was amazing. Yeah, some of those Easter eggs are amazing. They're like they were made for us. Um, right. I think they've struck that balance, actually. I think from appeasing you know, a, a long-in-the-tooth fan base, been around a long time, and bringing new people in. And I think, actually, with the release of, of, of A Gamer's Journey as well, that can all sort of feed into hopefully getting some more people interested in Shenmue the Games, which is what we all want at the end of the day, more Shenmue games. That's exactly it. Yeah, we just we want Shenmue 4 and we want people to just understand why we want those games. Absolutely. And first, for them to share in that passion as well. So uh, it sort of feeds into my next question then. Um, yeah. If there is a Shenmue 4, 
and I'm hopeful that we will see one. Um, judging on the buzz that's around the anime and, and Yuzuki's Wisenet are doing something. I don't know what, but they are making something. That came out of an interview just, just this afternoon, in fact. Um, if Shenmue 4 does come, will we see a part two to Gamer's Journey? Oh, Gamer's... I, I mean, as much as I would probably love to dive back into that world i i might just have to make this my my one and done uh contribution to the the shenmue community um in terms of what i what i do um i don't know if i would have it in me to do a part two nor would i think a part two would be warranted um i think i think somebody else could come along and maybe tell a better more intricate story um that ties shenmue ties the whole Shenmue world together. Um, probably they could do it better, but at least that we'll be able to say that we were the first ones to do it. And I think what we did had heart and soul to it. And um, it's not just a movie about a game, but it's about like the gamers as well. So. Super. Mm-hmm. And my final question to close us off, I think, and thank you, Adam, for taking the time to join me today. It's been an absolute hell of a ride, and I, I cannot wait to get uh, get on that documentary and watch it. I'm I will be view- waiting by my emails for that Kickstarter <laughs> update. I can tell you, and then I will be disappearing into the depths of my office to watch it when it does come. There's actually two questions actually. Yeah. With it, the first question is obviously when all the Kickstarter fulfillments done. Are you hoping to get it out onto market? Where can people pick it up if possible? Um, would love to. I just don't know what that would look like. It would be really cool if, um, I mean, if somebody like a, a Netflix or an Amazon were to come along and, and we can get it on that platform. I just don't know if there would be interest in it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I would definitely love for more people to be able to pick it up um i just can't say for sure like what that would be or how it would how it would look that's fair stay tuned i think is probably the word we'd use for that you never know probably the best one yeah yeah and the last one is to sort of round us off i do this with everybody and i'm putting you on the spot a little bit here is do do you have a message to to sign us off for the shemmy community oh is it too cliche if i just say let's get shenmue 4 no it is not cliche to say that (laughs) um no i'll say that and then just i don't know just the sign off messages i just i just want to say that everyone who is a fan of shenmue i just hope you guys know that you're part of like one of if not like the most passionate communities out there of people and um yeah it's just it's been a shared experience and i think we all just need to give ourselves a round of applause for for sticking with it this whole time because we pulled off the impossible we did and it's now led to a game and an anime and god knows what else in between but we'll see right adam thank you so much for taking the time to join me uh, this afternoon it's been an absolute pleasure to get you on um thank you to everybody who obviously takes the time to listen to these interviews and um, make sure you do give us a follow over on the social medias and on the youtube And we will be back with another interview very soon. Take care and goodbye.
Look at the time. 